Righto. I think this impact will be remembered for the impact of distractions. Um, it started with my dear brother Nick having to tell us to stand up and turn around. I was so tired and exhausted by the end of his, his message yesterday of all the exercise I got. <laughs> Slept like a baby. And then obviously Matt's trick to make alarms go off so we can have some fresh air to come back for the rest. And there's someone's phone again. <laughs> anyway. But I'm telling you now that I'm going to trump all the distractions, distractions because it is my dream to be preaching when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. Huh? That'll be it. I mean, can you imagine being in a worship service? Brett, where's Brett, the trumpet player? I almost, almost wanted to ask you to go stand there just in case and just let that trumpet just go and let it happen, bro. We need that. So, I'm so... I, I'm so grateful I could speak about glorification, and I have to warn you in advance that, um, as it sometimes happens, you know, you start preparing a message, and, and you have these great and wonderful ideas of what you want to write down and what you want to present, and then you end up with something completely different. Um, I do trust that in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we will see something about the glory that is prepared for us. But like I've done in the previous messages, I want to take you through the journey of our glorification. And we will end up, at the end, hopefully, at the point of our glorification. But I don't want us to miss the journey. Because we are right now in the journey. So it relates to us as well. So let me start by quoting the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Not the worst of catechisms to quote. What is the chief end of man? Maybe you can tell me. glorify God, and obviously to enjoy Him, to be satisfied in Him. But there are other questions in this catechism. Question number 37, what benefits do believers receive from Christ at death? The answer is, the souls of believers are at their death made perfect in holiness, and do immediately pass into glory, and their bodies, being still united to Christ, do rest in their graves till the resurrection. And then there's another question, the following one, question 38. What benefits do believers receive from Christ at the resurrection? At the resurrection, here's the answer. Believers being raised up in glory shall be openly acknowledged and acquitted in the day of judgment and made perfectly blessed in the full enjoying of God to all eternity. We need to applaud the men who wrote this, because this is beautiful. Now, we have looked at justification, great messages from Nick. We've looked at sanctification and great messages from Matthew. And I want to link all these three together. If in justification we are made legally fit for the presence of God, in glorification we are made physically fit, fit for His presence. If in sanctification we are set apart to be distinct and different in this world so marred by sin, in glorification we are set apart to be the same, to be conformed into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ in the world to come. 
so that we can be fit for heaven. In Christ alone do we, do we receive these great benefits. And if we were to ask, where is God going with our salvation? The answer is glorification. And we see it almost from the first pages of Scripture in the way in which God created us. Now, the, the, the actual passage that probably spawned the, um, these three topics that we discuss is in Romans chapter 8. We read in verse 29 to 30, For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. In other words, we will end up like the Lord Jesus Christ in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. We'll get back to those verses in a while. Let me read to you now Spurgeon. It's unfair that Sinclair Ferguson was quoted more than Spurgeon. It's very unbaptistic of us because Spurgeon is always the man we quote. Now just, just listen to what Spurgeon said in one of his sermons where he speaks about justification and glorification. A little stream, he says, divides justification and glorification. It is a narrow stream called death. There's no glory without passing through that or through the great change when the Lord Jesus Christ comes. He then added this, he said, soul and body often quarrel here, but what a happy meeting it will be when the soul and the body shall be merged together in perfection of union. Then whatever may be the splendor of Christ will be the splendor of His people. Our body shall be like unto His glorious body, and we ourselves shall be like Him. He went on to explain the believer's glorification like this. Just, man, I would have loved to sit and hear Spurgeon say this, but you have to do with me. But just listen. I think I should say it means perfect rest, he said. There remaineth therefore a rest for the people of God. Like in its fullest sense, life with emphasis, eternal life, nearness to God, closeness to the divine heart, His love shed abroad in all its fullness, likeness of Christ, fullness of communion with Him, abundance of the Spirit of God, being filled with all the fullness of God, an excess of joy, a perpetual influx of delight, perfection of holiness, no stain, nor thought of sin, perfect submission to the divine will, a conformity to that will, absorption as it were into God, the creature, still the creature, but filled with the Creator to the brim. Serenity caused by a sense of safety, continuance of heavenly service, an instant satisfaction in serving God day and night, bliss in the society of perfect spirits, spirits and glorified angels, delight in the retrospect of the past, delight in the enjoyment of the present, and in the prospect of the future, something ever new and ever more the same, a delightful variety of satisfaction and a heavenly sameness of delight, clear knowledge, 
absence of all clouds, ripeness of understanding, excellence of justice and judgment, and above all, an intense vigor of heart, and the whole of that heart set upon him whom our eye shall see to be altogether lovely. Isn't that beautiful? I could say amen there. We could all go home early. This, <laughs> bless you, brother. But you have to sit to hear the rest. Does this resonate with your heart? Is this what you want? Now, this is what you and I are looking forward to. I know it is. That's, that's my heart. Is it not true then that there awaits something so remarkably beautiful for you and me that our time here on earth and through our struggles in sanctification and the trials and temptations that we face will eventually come to an end and we know what awaits us. But we're not there yet, are we? We're not there. We haven't crossed that little stream quite yet, have we? If you have crossed that stream and you are here already, please don't say present. We will run out scared of the ghosts. Now the Bible teaches us that until that time, until that time when we will be part of this body of people who have been redeemed, who have been sanctified, and who are now glorified, fit to be in the presence of God who is holy, until then, we must realize that this current body of ours is marred and plagued and infested with sin. And that's our daily struggle, is it not? So what I will try to do in this last session is to work our way through the different stages or states of man as we relate to sin. Because the final stage is where sin shall be no more. Now I'm going to lean very heavily on a good friend of ours, Augustine. He was an African, by the way. Up north. And um, I'm going to lean on him because he, he had this phrase that he used, or this formula that he used, and I'm going to use that as my structure, which you should be very proud of. I worked until 12 o'clock last night to redo this. <laughs> Here we go. Right. Augustine stated that we relate to sin in four different ways. First of all, as man is created, he is able to sin and able not to sin. All right, I need to outdo Nick with my Latin. If you're Italian, I almost, when I read this the first time, I saw my Italian friend Gabriel. I said, oh, posse peccare, posse non peccare. Latin is actually just Italian. Posse peccare, posse non peccare. So that's the first point. Able to sin and able not to sin. And then the second one was not able to sin. Non posse non peccare. And then thirdly, able not to sin. Posse non peccare. And then unable to sin. That's glorification. Non posse peccare. If you want to write this down, sorry, it's too late. Right. Which one of these states do you think the incarnate Lord Jesus Christ was in. I'm just going to leave it there because if you say that, the G, that our Lord Jesus come in not able not to sin, it's true. When you say, well, Jesus was able to sin, able not to sin, then you have some difficulties with the Trinity and the natures of Jesus. Um, 
So I'll just leave it out there for you to discuss around the dinner table tonight. That's cheeky. Now, every one of these statements that I will mention has a key that unlocks it for us. There's a key that unlocks the next stage of our relationship with sin. And we will see as we go through them what those keys are. The first state is unlocked, as it were, or that's probably the first key that is used. The first state is unlocked by creation. Able to sin, able not to sin. That is how God created us. Adam and Eve were able to sin, but they were also able not to sin. They truly had a choice. God said to them in the Garden of Eden and told them there's one tree that you should not take from, and yet they were able to say no, but they were also able, sadly, to say, yes, I will fall for this temptation, which they eventually did. Now, just to go back a little bit before they took that fruit from the tree, I want us to realize that in creation, God has already placed within all human beings His glory. And it's real. And it is a glory that exists within all human beings from Adam to the last human being that will be born. There is a glory all humans, by nature of being created in the image of God, possess. So even though that glory is hidden since the fall, or maybe suppressed in our state of sin while we are without Christ, we must and we have to believe that man has an, has an intrinsic glory by nature of us being created in the image of God. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, we know those verses well. When God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Well, what is the likeness and the image of God? Is it not all glorious? And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds and the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And where do you see glory most? Don't you see it? In kings and rulers especially in our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the ultimate King of glory. So God created man in his own image, in his glory. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, by the way, he created them. We were made to glorify God from the beginning. We were made in order so that we can relate to this God who made us. As image bearers, we were to reflect God's glory in us and also in the whole of creation. Now, this glory, reflecting and relating to the image of God in man, allowed Adam and Eve to be in the presence of God. That's why we have the image of God. It's so that we, unlike that little doggy of yours that barks every time the doorbell rings, we can relate to God. We can have communion with God. And that's what Matt was speaking about. Our sanctification is to lead us into that communion, even in our state still being in the flesh. God created us from the beginning to walk with Him in the garden. Well, we know what happened, and we will get to that. But I want us to know that there is a real and a beautiful dignity in man that even with the darkness of our hearts, it is still present. Man carries within him the glory of God. So, some of the applications just of this part is, you know, we need to value the individual. We need to value life. Life is precious, but not only because it is precious, not only because you've got only one, 
But within life, we have a manifestation of the glory of God. Therefore, things like abortion, euthanasia, all those things are things that we as Christians cannot accept. The second state is unlocked for us when we move to not able not to sin. That is sadly unlocked for us by Adam and his sin. His disobedience unlocked that relationship that we now have with sin. Now all human beings are not able not to sin. Our nature has been changed. Adam sinned and man ends up with a new nature, a different nature, that is now mutilated. It is marred by sin. Every aspect of it. The fall gave us a sinful nature. And, and while in this state, we fall, what? Short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 It will take the work of Christ Jesus, a second Adam, to come and restore that image of man to be pleasing to God again so that we can walk with him in paradise. In this state, man is so horribly spoiled, he has so horribly spoiled that manifestation of God's glory in him that it is barely recognizable. In all the other states that we will still work through, the glory of God is displayed. In Adam and Eve, the glory of God was displayed in them, in their relationship with Him as He walked in the garden. In our lives as the redeemed, the glory of God is being displayed, and it has been in our worship, in our fellowship with Him, in our communion with Him, in our obedience to His commandments. But in this state, the glory of God is suppressed. It is hidden. It is darkened. Since Adam fell, although the image of God is still part and parcel of who we are as human beings, that manifestation of His glory, His image in sinners, only faintly visible. Well, here we're back with Sinclair Ferguson, that illustration that we've looked at about the kaleidoscopic burst of the colors of the magnificence, of the magnificence of God's image in us. How many of you as children had that little kaleidoscope, you know, the tube? And at the end of the tube, there are little crystals. And as you turn them, the light is being reflected. Is that the right word? Whatever that is, you know what I'm talking about. And anyway, you see, you see how it changes the whole time. And no matter how many times you turn it, every picture is different. Just light. Well, imagine now that manifestation of the glory of God being us. And us being the kaleidoscope, and then someone comes and he puts his hand in front of that place where the light shines in. It's still there, but it's not reflected. It's not seen. It's not visible anymore. And that is what we are like as sinners. We do not portray that what we are. We're not those who are showing the fact that we are created in the image of God. Since the fall... Man's depravity is displayed in the opposite of what is glory. We see man in shame. What's the first thing they noticed? Their nakedness. There's dishonor. There's indignity in man now. Abasement, disdain. The Apostle Paul mentions the state of men in Romans chapter 3. And, and Nick visited that chapter for us so often. But... Listen here again in the beginning of that chapter as it is written. And put yourself there and ask yourself this question. What does man look like now while 
The only thing he can do is to sin. Verse 10. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. Where's the glory gone? It's gone. All have turned aside. Together they have become what? Worthless. No one does good. Not even one. And then he goes into very vivid picture of what this looks like in the life of those who are in Adam. Their throat is an open grave. What do you find in an open grave with a decaying body? They use their tongues for deceit. The venom of asps is under their lips. They are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. You can ask this question, what happened to the glory? It's no coincidence, I think, that the first sin mentioned after Adam and Eve sinned, after the original sin, is that of taking the life of another when Cain murdered his brother. It's a demonic effort to destroy the glory of God in his image bearer, man. And we see this played out in such vivid ways in our society, in our generation of sinners, don't we? It is as if murder, the killing of another, has become something that we can accept. Let me read this to you and you tell me if you see any of that original glory of God portrayed and manifested in society today. I'm going to quote an organization that you know very well, Amnesty International. An abortion is a medical procedure that ends a pregnancy. It is a basic health care need for millions of women, girls, and others. Now that already just... Seriously, can't take these guys serious. Of others who can become pregnant. Worldwide, they say, an estimate one in four and a half pregnancies end in an abortion every year. Matt told me that we are around 400, 450 people here. I don't know the exact number. Imagine for a moment, we sit here, Innocent, dependable, or dependent people. And someone comes in and kills all of us. That would be horrific, wouldn't it? It'll make the six o'clock news. Politicians and everyone around will make plans. They'll make new laws, do this, do that, to stop that from ever happening again. But imagine, imagine happening, this happening, and after the first killing spree of 450 people, the room is filled with another 450, and the same thing happens again, and another 450, and another 450, and we end up with 29 times of people being killed in a room this size, and we call that the statistics of 2020. The amount of people, of babies, killed in the womb in New Zealand. Now you tell me, do you see that original glory of God's image in man? If we can take that and we can make that something that is acceptable in society today. 
You see, but we are there where we can do nothing else but sin. Now, I have to say this because I know we are dealing with people who are sinners. And as Nick so beautifully explained to us, obviously, it doesn't matter what the sins are that you've committed in your life, there comes a time when you can stand in the courtroom of God and God can look at you and say that the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ has paid for your sins. And if there's anyone in this room who had an abortion or who maybe helped someone to get an abortion, know that the same forgiveness can be extended to you. But you have to acknowledge this as a sin. Why don't we talk about this as a sin anymore? It's as if, as if the church's voice has been, has been muffled. We try to please the world by using the same terminology that the world uses. Abortion. Even that word is not the right word to say. It is killing. It is murder. The general acceptance of abortion in society is just another and a further proof of the fact that man's glory is so mutilated, so ruined, and so displaced that man in this state is not able not to sin. So we make a way for our conscience to accommodate evil. And we have countless more instances of how we do this, don't we? We are, we are less than glorious. So we see mass shootings. See, wars, see corruption, greed, more evil, and evil and evil. But we should not be fooled to think that only these things that make the news are actually a display of man's true evil heart. The Lord knows even those little sins that you commit in darkness and in secret. He knows. And every single one of them is contrary to the image of God who is in you. And contrary to the reason why God created you, to glorify Him. There's no glory in man while we are in sin and separated from Christ. As a matter of fact, I think all men should be called Ichabod. The glory of God has departed. So start there and maybe at the age of your conversion, change your name. But this is not the story of the children of God though. And that's why I'm so happy we don't have to stay there. If you are in Christ then His righteousness is your righteousness. His work is your work. His obedience is your obedience. His life is your life. His death was your death. And His resurrection is your resurrection because you will follow. And this is, this is what is so beautifully set out for us here in Romans chapter 8. Verse 28 onwards. And he says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together. For good, for those who are called according to His purpose. What's that purpose? To glorify Him. For those whom He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, so that we can again display the glory of His Son, in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those He justified, He will also glorify. Now, if you looked in your Bible, you just saw and, and noticed me making a mistake in my reading. Let me read that last verse again. And those whom he predestined, he also called, past tense, done. And those whom he called, he also justified, 
past tense. It's done. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, you and I are not in our glorified state yet, are we? But the way in which God sees his people is that these things are already done. Because it is sure. So you have man in this horrible state of sin. He is enslaved by his nature. The only thing he can do is sin. And then we read, well, we read about this in Ephesians 2. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world according to your nature, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived as Ichabods in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. And as Nick mentioned, those Wonderful word that Martin Lloyd-Jones called the, the blessed buts. But, but God, what did God do? While we were there, while we were so hopeless, while we couldn't display the glory of God, he said, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him. And look again at the tense. And seated us with him in the heavenly places. In Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us. In Christ Jesus. Now. Where are you right now? This might feel like heaven. This might feel like the heavenly place, especially when we sing holy, holy, holy. My, my mind is just taken there to those four living creatures saying that day in, day out. But this is not it yet. But positionally, according to the promise of God, that is where you as a believer are. That's where we are. It is at this point then that we move over to the next key, unlocking our next state as we relate to sin. This time, the key is actually a whole key ring full of keys. Everyone opening the same door, but each one necessary. Augustine, as we said, summed it up in these words. Able not to sin. Posse non picare. Now, Matt and Nick, they taught extremely well. I'm so grateful for the clarity in which you guys have explained justification and sanctification. It was just no one should leave this room not knowing those doctrines now. But I want to make just a few comments as to how those things relate to glorification. Now that we're in that state where we're justified, we're in the process of being sanctified, how do we relate to sin? Now let me ask you this question, rhetorically this time. What do you and I have that the non posse non picari, those people not able not to sin, what do you and I have that they don't? Christ. How do you have Christ in you now? By His Holy Spirit. You and I have Jesus Christ, His Holy Spirit in us, working in us, producing within us the sanctification that is needed for us to have communion with Him. If you take justification, it is, okay, you're in the court, 
legally, you are now free to go because someone else paid that debt. We can say clinical, it's done, it's legal, it's done. Sanctification is now, because that is done, I don't have sin preventing me from having communion with God anymore. And the moment I turn around, what do I find? Oh, wretched man that I am. I find myself there in Romans chapter 7. Everything I do and want to do, every time I want to keep the law of God, I find myself not being able to keep the law of God. And that which I don't want to do, I do. And that's what I want to do, I can do. And it's this constant struggle for what? Holiness, so that I can be, as Matt said, in communion with my Savior. So that I can again be in His presence. I love how Paul writes there in, in Galatians about the reality of our salvation when he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, he says, but Christ who lives in me. It is that vine that we draw our sap from. His communion with the Father becomes our communion with the Father. And the life I now live where? Seated at the right hand of the Father together with Christ? Positionally, yes. But I still feel this. I'm still in the flesh. I still sin. I still struggle. I still feel pain. But this life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. Brothers and sisters, you and I have a new status, a new form as it were. And we already enjoy that which is promised to us in Christ Jesus while in the flesh. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I'll read a few verses there. I'm not going to expound these verses. But I just want you to listen what the Word of God says about where we are now. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 5. I'll read from verse 1. For we know that if the tent, that is our earthly home, is destroyed. What's the tent? That's this body. That's what we're in. This pot of clay. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, looking forward to our glorification. If indeed by putting it on we may be found naked, for while we are still in this tent we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So, we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and be home with the Lord. Amen? Any day now. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him through sanctification. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And then when we go down to verse 17... He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, 
He is a new creation. There's already something that was lost in Adam being placed in you. The old has passed away. You're not in Adam as you were when you were only able to sin. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. So now, as those legally justified, as those who are legally justified, we are also sanctified, and this sanctification is linked to a restoration of our glory. That image of God within us, that glory that allows us now to have communion with God. Now, this is an interesting state to be in, and you would all understand this very well. Because we are already positionally, according to a promise and guaranteed by the seal of the Holy Spirit that God gave us, we already possess what is promised to us. It is ours. It cannot be taken away from you. Charles Spurgeon, I don't know what happened to that quote. Anyway, I had it in there, but it's gone. But Charles Spurgeon mentions, he says that your justification is the bud, the, the blossom that will one day blossom at your glorification. Your justification is the surety that one day you will be glorified. True. And God has given us His Holy Spirit as the seal of guarantee that you are His and that He will take you from here to there. That's why God speaks about this in His Word. Ephesians 2 verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of that great love that he has for us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And so he goes on. So that you and I can know the immeasurable riches of his grace in the kindness of our Savior Jesus Christ. So now in him and through him we again possess a form of, of glory that in us and through us reflect the glory of God. So believer, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ this afternoon, know that within you, because of the Spirit that dwells within you, there is a glory that shines out and reflects in this creation in which you live. Even though your flesh is still sinful, there is a glory radiating from the people of God to the glory of Christ Jesus. That's you. We're all heavyweights. But more than that, we are able to behold the glory of God. That is the best of it all. And as we gaze into the face of the one who manifested God's glory, our Lord Jesus Christ, we ourselves, we grow in that same glory even now because we possess it. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Sanctification. Sanctification is slowly opening up for us the glories of Christ and purposefully transforming us into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me just say something here that should encourage you. Sanctification is temporary. Did you think of that? 
That's right. Sorry, Matt. That's only got the last period of time. Mine lasts for all eternity. <laughs> Sanctification is only temporary. It is necessary and it is a blessed gift given to us, given to the believer, while we find ourselves in this state where the body and the flesh fights against the glory of God. Where his flesh is now the regenerate spirit and it is at war, according to Galatians 5, with the flesh. You know what I'm talking about? We face it every day. And yet I'm in Christ. My affections belong to Him. And yet sin is always present. But I can also not sin. Did you know that you can actually not sin when temptation comes? It's as if we live with this, with this defeatist idea that, yes, oh, you know, oh. Know that you can say no to temptation. Probably we won't be able to do it every single time. Not probably, we won't. We won't do it for the whole of our lives. But there are moments when temptation comes. You face temptation and you think about the glory of Christ. And you could say, no, not this time. I'm able not to sin. Why? Because God's Holy Spirit lives within me. And let me just make here a practical, pastoral application to you. There are all kinds of temptations, especially for you young people. Older people have different temptations. No, we don't. They have exactly the same temptations you have. But let me tell you this. That as a temptation faces you, and you stand there, and your flesh is drawn towards sin, and your desires is just to please the flesh, what do you do? Well, like, I advise one of my great friends, I say to him, why don't you start singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And while you sing that, you try to sin. Have you tried that? You better not do it then. But it is, be it is because you have this vision of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ that helps you because His Spirit then reminds you, I'm in Christ. I do not need to sin. John Calvin said, no one ought to be reckoned among the disciples of Christ unless we perceive the glory of God impressed on him with a seal by Christ-likeness. If you are like Christ, he who faced temptation was able to say what? It is written. It is written. It is written. His will was to do the will of his Father. Therefore, his glory becomes your glory. His obedience is your obedience. This glory does not have its spring in our flesh. We don't have it within us. That's why, sadly, sometimes the temptation will come and we will fall. We will fail. But even then, we can run to our Savior and find in Him the forgiveness that He promises. This is partly the answer to that prayer in John 17 that we read about. Verse 9, I'm praying for them. So Jesus praying for who? Raise your hands. Praying for you. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. How is Christ glorified in you? When His righteousness becomes your righteousness. When His ability to say no to sin becomes your ability to say no to sin. Verse 22, the glory that you have given me, I've given to them. That glory is restored. That which was lost in Adam is now given back to you. It's a little bit different, 
But still we have the glory of the image of God in Christ Jesus who dwells within us by the Holy Spirit. And then verse 24, it says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Now when we turn to places like 2 Corinthians 4, we have a description there of how this beautiful and precious group of people, those who are in Christ Jesus, how we find ourselves in a world that doesn't care much for the glory of Christ. Have you noticed? Rather, they find themselves exposed to all kinds of trials, suffering, persecution. They live under the threat of death all day long, Paul said. Yet they constantly look forward to a future redemption, a future salvation. That time when they will be released from, from the pressures of sanctification and temptation and difficulties and trials. First John chapter 3, verse 2, John says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. How is Christ? What is He like? Sinless, pure. Holy, in the most perfect communion with the Father that you can ever imagine. And we will be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. So we live with an understanding that justification, sanctification, that's not the telos, that's not the end goal of our existence in Christ now. This is not it. It's an important part, but it is the way to glorification. So we know that this world is transient. Don't invest all your effort and time and money in this world. It'll be gone. They know that this world will end. It will disappear like a mist in the morning sun. They will live under this heavy burden of a world that hates them. And they will feel the pain. They will be persecuted. And right now, as you and I sit here, I bet you there is a Christian somewhere in the world facing death from someone who does not have the glory of God revealed and manifested in the way that that one has, and he will die a martyr's death because they hate Christ. That's our lives. They know that this will last only as long as they are in this body of flesh. And that person who might die a martyr's death today will wake up in the glory of Jesus Christ, and he will say, all those things that I suffered here on earth is nothing compared to the glory that I have now received. That's how we live our lives. So, the bride of Christ is filling up in her body right now that which is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the church, for the sake of His glory. And they sing, they sing with hope. Great things He has taught us, great things He has done, and great are our rejoicing through Jesus the Son. And then they add, but purer and higher and greater will be our joy and our wonder when Jesus we see. How will you see Jesus? You will see him without sin. And you will be without sin. I love thee in life. I love thee in death. And praise thee as long as thou lendest me breath. And say when the death dew lies cold on my brow. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, it's now. In the last verse of that beautiful hymn, 
in mansions of glory and endless delight. I'll ever adore thee in heaven so bright. I'll sing with a glittering crown on my brow. If ever I loved thee, my Jesus, it's then. It'll be then when there will be no sin hindering your love for Christ. You'll be in His presence and He will just overwhelm you with His glory. And you will be able to take in all that glory because it will be you. The glory of Christ will be in you. Yeah, there will be suffering. But this light momentary, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Beyond all comparison, Paul says, as we look not to the things that are seen, but we're looking to the things unseen, that which we still hope for. I need to skip a little bit here. Let me do that. Right. Let's now move into the final stage. The one I was actually asked to talk about. <laughs> the final relationship that we have with sin is unable to sin. Non posseficare. The believer in his glorified state, will not be able to sin. What is the key that unlocks this state for us? It is glorification. Something needs to happen to me. God will have to do something with me in order for me to be in a state different from the state that I am in now, in order for me to be in a state where I will not be able to sin. Any one of you able to sin right now? That's going to be gone. We're not going to have that anymore. Glorification, by the way, will not be imputed to you like we speak about justification. It's not, it's not something that will be credited to you. Now you are glorified legally. No. We won't receive glory, the glory of Christ, on our account. Glorification will also not be that steady, progressive, growing in holiness like sanctification is. Glorification will be instantaneous when the Lord Jesus Christ returns and raise you from the dead. And you will be in your glorified body, in his presence, being able to relate to him. Like that. A new creation, complete and holy. Now I was wondering whether I should go with the amillennial, postmillennial, premillennial, tribulation people. Uh, you know, stir things up. A little bit. When is that going to happen? What happens to my soul when I die? You know, when do I get this body? I will leave that for your pastors to sort out. But let me just read to you a few verses. Let, let, let's just go to the glorification part. Colossians 3 verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Whether you will be alive on that day at the return of Christ, whether you are just dust, you will appear with him in glory. First John 3 verse 2, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears at his second coming, we shall be like him. We will be raised like him. And we will see him as he is. First Peter 5 verse 4, And when the chief shepherd appears, we will receive the unfading crown of glory. This is yours and mine to possess. Now, just a few questions with regard to our glorification. 
Everyone asks the question, what will we be like? What will we look like? Will I recognize you? Will you recognize me? Well, like every good theologian does, you go back and you see what the church father said. So I came across this quote from Origen. Origenus Adamantius is his actual name. I didn't even know that. He's from Egypt, another good African. <laughs> Listen to what Origen said. Because the circle is the most perfect figure, the future body will be globular. You will all be little spheres floating around in heaven because the most perfect picture or the most representation of perfection is the little globe. He concluded that we won't recognize one another, therefore, <laughs> because if all of us are little globes, we will all look exactly the same. Sorry, Mr. Origen, I think you missed the point. Now, one of our favorite theologians is Augustine. I used, actually, his whole frame, framework for this. You think Origen was crazy. Augustine, <laughs> he seems to have thought that all the matter which at any period entered into the organism of our present bodies would in some way be restored in the resurrection body. Bear with me. Everybody shall be complete in quantity and quality. This is what it means. As many hairs as have been shaved off or nails cut shall not return in such vast quantities as to deform their original places, but neither shall they perish. They shall return into the body, into that substance from which they grew. So all that hair that you've been cutting off all your life to make yourself beautiful and that toenail, they'll all come back. <laughs> Isn't it interesting how people would think about these things? I, I mean, we all appreciate men like Augustine. I mean, if you don't, there's something wrong with you. But what will we look like? Will we be like what we were when we were 20 or 30? What about children who died? We spoke about them yesterday. Will they, will they forever be two? Forever an infant? An embryo? Will they be four or six? What will they look like? What about the man who lost his leg in the war? Is it suddenly going to... Well, according to Augustine, he's going to have his leg back plus the toenails that he lost. <laughs> there you go. There you go. That's sorted. But what will you look like? I don't know what we will look like. I know this, though. You will be in Christ in order to be like Christ, in order to be with Christ. That's what you will be. We don't know all the answers, sadly. We know it's going to be a glorified body. And that's what Jesus said. Father, I desire that they also, um, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am. That's the point of your glorification, is that you can be fit enough, holy enough, full of the glory of Christ enough, so that you can be with him in heaven for all eternity. John Owen, whom we've quoted so many times, praise God he didn't go into toenail theology, but listen to what he says here. There is a book that all of you need to get. The Glories of Christ. Have you heard about the book? I think it's Banner of Truth Publications. The Glories of Christ. John Owen wrote this on his deathbed. And if you know anything about John Owen, he's a thinker. He just pulls everything apart and he thinks about things. And he, Wonderful, wonderful little book. What do you think about 
And what will you think about on your deathbed? Well, this is what John Owen did. Allow me to quote here. The heavenly luminaries, which we can behold, appear too great and glorious for our cohabitation. It's as if we look at them and think, I, I cannot be there. I'm not fit for it. He says, we are as grasshoppers in our own eyes in comparison of these gigantic beings. And they seem to dwell in places which would immediately swallow up and extinguish our natures. How then shall we entertain an apprehension of being carried and exalted above them? Because you and I will be above the angels. Did you know that? To an everlasting subsistence in places incomprehensibly more glorious than the orbs wherein they reside. What capacity is there in our nature of such a habitation? What is there in you and me that will make us actually be able to be in the presence of God? But hereof the Lord Christ has given us a pledge in Himself. Our nature in Him is passed through these um, aspectable heavens. I still don't know what aspectable means. Maybe someone can explain that to me. But I'm, I'm imagining that it's, it's leading us into that glorious spectacle of heaven. And it's exalted far above them. That's where we're going to be. Its eternal habitation is in the blessed regions of light and glory. And he has promised that where he is, where, that is where we shall be as well forever and ever. A little bit more of John Owen. I know you're tired. I'm not cruel. I won't let you do exercises. <clears throat> That's upon yourself. Listen to this. We shall hereby be made fit and meet for heaven. Men shall not be clothed with glory as it were, whether, they will or whether it is their will or not. It is to be received in that exercise of the faculties of their souls which such persons have no ability for. In other words, we cannot glorify ourselves within ourselves. It says music has no pleasure in it unto them that cannot hear. You cannot, you cannot enjoy music if you're deaf. Nor the most beautiful colors unto them that cannot see. You cannot enjoy it. You don't have the, the fitness, the capacity to do so. It would be no benefit unto a fish to take him from the bottom of the ocean, filled with cold and darkness, and to place him under the beams of the sun. For he is no way meet to receive any refreshment thereby. Heaven itself Will, would not be more advantageous unto persons not renewed by the Spirit of grace in this life. It starts with regeneration. It continues with justification. It continues throughout our life with sanctification until we receive that promise of our glorification. God in Christ Jesus must make us fit for heaven and that is what glorification is. I want to close with a few apt Bible verses. And I will let the Word of God just speak. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20 onwards, he says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, who was that man? Adam. By a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. 
For as in Adam all died to become those who would always sin, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Jesus, that's why I spoke about the glory of Christ first. He leads it. He's the one that does it for us. He's the first fruits. And as he was risen, or was raised, raised from the dead, sorry, Afrikaans, English day, as he was raised from the dead, he's the first fruits, and you and I will follow. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ, which is you and me, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power, the glorious king. Verse 40. There are heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and there is another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for stars differ from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It, that which is sown in dishonor is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Behold, verse 51, I tell you a mystery. We shall, not all, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? And sin shall be no more and you will be fit to be in the presence of God. One final passage. Revelation 21. Then I saw new heavens and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. It's gone. And the sea was no more. No more turmoil. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have all passed away. And he was seated on the throne. He said, Behold, I am making all things new. <laughs> also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy. They are true. And he said to me, It is done. When was the last time you heard that? Was it on the cross when Jesus finally did what the Father expected of him to do? And him in his obedience did what the Father's will is? And he said, The work of redemption is done. 
Here is another it is done. It's a different one. It's not the same one. Now this earth has been taken away, rolled up, as it were. A new heavens and a new creation has been made by God. And in this new creation, Jesus Christ is the center of worship. And you and I will be there in our glorified bodies, able to worship Him. Able to speak to Him. Able to commune with Him without these distractions of sin, without the shame of our sin, without the temptations that hinder us, without a wandering mind when we hear His Word spoken to us. Aren't you looking forward to that? I am so looking forward to that. If Jesus comes back now, man, it will be great. I don't really want to go through the process of death, but even that will be fine. Because I want to be with my Savior in such a state. Amen. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all these things new. He says, It is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. You will drink from Christ day in, day out. No payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. So persevere, my dear brothers and sisters. And I will be his God. And he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars, their portion will be in the lake of fire that burns sulfur, which is the second death. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues, and he spoke to me and said, Come, <laughs> I will show you the bride. The wife of the Lamb. Now, sorry, ladies, I have to explain something from a man's perspective, and it won't be toxic masculinity. There is no greater moment for any man than to stand there on this side of that little stream I was talking about. Standing there, waiting for the bride to finally enter the back of the room. As a pastor, I have the privilege of obviously helping people to get married. I don't like the word marrying people. Like, it's not me. But you have the groom. He stands there and he's shaking. And he's talking to his best man, you know, kind of trying to calm the nerves. And then a song starts playing. Usually, my, as I grew up, it was the Mendelssohn's, the wedding march. da 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 <laughs> And everyone would stand up. And he would go. <laughs> and then she walks down the aisle. And there's no greater moment for a young man than to see his bride dressed in purest white. By the way, I don't know whether you had one of those red wedding dresses. I'm not sorry about that. But she walks down the aisle in all his glory and splendor. And she's going to come. And she's going to take his hand, and they're going to make a covenant saying, You are mine, I'm yours, until death do us part. And the glory of the man is his wife. And the glory of his wife, or the wife, is her husband. And that union that exists is just a picture of what is described for us here in the book of Revelation. Brothers, we are, you and I are going to wear white dresses for the rest of eternity. <laughs> We will be clothed in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ.
and we will be in union with him, in such a union. Husbands, raise your hands and tell me how many of you have issues with your wives. Don't do it. <laughs> but I will do it, okay? On your behalf, vicariously. But let me tell you this. As a husband who loves the Lord, if there's one thing I would love to do better, is to actually be in a marriage where my wife doesn't sin. You know what? Christ Jesus is doing that for you and me. We will be the bride who doesn't sin. And we will be together with him in this glorious body where we cannot sin. And we will be with the husband who never sinned. Wives, I'm sure you're looking forward to that. <laughs> Amen? All right, let us leave it there. Otherwise, whew, let's pray. Dear Heavenly God and Father, how great it is to know you and to be known by you. How wonderful it is to look forward to this moment when, when this body will give way to the next body that is promised to us in Christ Jesus. And whatever we will look like, we know one thing. We will be in your presence. We will be with you. We will be loved forevermore. And we will be able to express a love back to you in the most glorious fashion possible. Because where you are, there we will be. All for the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, thanks again, Andre. That was uh, awesome and super encouraging. What a blessing, eh, to be a part of God's family and to look forward to that wonderful future. Putting on the white robes, I prefer to say, not the white dress, but hey, uh, it's going to be a wonderful, wonderful blessing. Hey, just a few things just before we um, finish up this session. Um, first of all, I just want to say thanks to Riverbend Bible Church for hosting this conference. It's been a, a huge blessing. <clears throat> Certainly the, uh, the brains trust behind this conference is uh, B Major and Toby Young and Vicki Lee Dempsey. They've done a wonderful job with just all the admin of everything that's happened. And so many others have been involved with uh, different aspects of this um, weekend. I know the kids' ministry has been fantastic. The, the kids have loved that. The parents have been very, very thankful. We've thanked the music team. We appreciate that. It's not just the ones you see up here. It's the ones behind the desk over there, behind the doors that are making all of this happen as well. And so we're, we're so grateful for that and for the... All of the um, ones who have been speaking this weekend, the seminar guys, um, Daryl and, um, and Andrew, we appreciate what you guys have done, and, and obviously the keynote speakers have been fantastic uh, to, have, uh, to have Nick and Matt and uh, Andre. Um, awesome to be able to sit under the ministry of the Word. Thank you guys for your preparation and for your ministry to us. We're really, really thankful. And, and I finally found out where Timaru is, so hey, if, uh, if, uh, if I'm heading down uh, south of Christchurch, um, you can uh, pop in and see Nick there at the church, but it's been a real blessing to, to have you guys here, and really thank you to everybody for coming. Uh, it's been fantastic. Um, 
Lord willing, we want the Lord to come soon, but uh, if we're still here, Lord willing, um, put this weekend in your calendar for next year, and uh, we'll make plans for it to happen again, and uh, trust uh, if the Lord hasn't returned that we can meet again in fellowship like this. And just a couple of practical things. I know um, there's a bit of cleanup to happen, and I know some of you have to hit the road, but if you're able to stay around and you're able to maybe help, even over in the marquee, there's that flooring that needs to be picked up and stacked up. So if you've got the energy to be able to help do that, I know the team would really, really appreciate it. And there's different things that just happen at the end here with vacuuming and that kind of thing. So if you're able to help, That'd be brilliant. If you find anything that sort of looks like lost property, you could still just um, out in the conservatory there, take it to that where the registration table was, just hand it in. Or if you see Toby floating around, you could give it to him. I know there was um, a ring that was found last night. It's like a silver ring. I think it was found at the back of the auditorium here. It's like an arrow. It's, it's in a circle like an arrow. So if you know who owns that or if it's yours, um, come and uh, grab that from me. Um, Jerome, I saw you sitting over there. Brother, come and see me afterwards. I've got a message for you. And uh, Matt's going to come now, I think, and just uh, maybe formally and officially close off the conference. Thanks, brother. Thank you, Phil. We, um, we try to do things with excellence around here, and uh, that means that any time we have an MC, we, we find the very best. And Phil Henderson's done a great job this year, so thank you very much. They're not going to like this, um, but I would love for Justine and Marcia and Margaret and Heather and Joan and Anne and Joe to please make their way as they are up the front. This conference began in 1997. I think I made mention of that at the Q&A, maybe. So 25 years this year. Uh, obviously, it wasn't on every year at the very beginning, but for 25 years now, this conference has gone on. And uh, a key part of this conference has been the physical sustenance uh, of the food. And um, we didn't have the full kitchen up, as you know, because of late notice and whatnot. But what we did have was some very exceptional morning and afternoon teas. And uh, these precious ladies have worked literally well before the weekend began, all through it. And uh, here we are thanking them. And um, Justine and Marcia have been doing this a very, very long time. And from what I understand, this will be your last time. And so we wanted to get you up and honor you. Thank you for being willing to come up. I know these guys, and, and it's just lovely that they're up here. We want to honor you for all your years and, and just the way you've blessed us. So Justine and Marcia particularly, thank you so much. And um, Margaret and Heather and Joan and Anne and Joe, you have really blessed us this weekend. So thank you so much.
Thank you guys so much. Enjoy a good rest. Well deserved. We won't drag this out, but I can't see him. But I intimated to him very clearly for him to please be present. Um, I'm looking for a really long beard. Actually, I can see him. You know, you know. I'd love for, for, for Aaron to come up, but also I would love for B and Toby to please come up. And they particularly won't like this. But I'm their pastor and they can forgive me. And So B, could you please come up here? She's so deep in conversation she can't hear me right now. But hey B, could you please come up here? And you should see the look on her face. <laughs> so, you know, every year Impact is, it's a big machine. And it's made even bigger when it was done at such short notice. And uh, I have the privilege of serving with Toby and B here on staff at the church. And Vicky Lee, where are you? Vicky Lee is right there. You're hiding. Could you please come up here as well? So B and Toby in the office every day, just working tirelessly, working hard to really make uh, this happen. And they've done a lot of work in the time leading up, and they'll do a lot of work afterwards. Um, so thank you, guys. We've got Vicky Lee in. And you've just been a great addition to the team and blessed us. So thank you so much um, for this year, for the years gone by. And uh, I know these guys are all excited about next year, even though this year isn't finished yet. But our brother on the end here, Aaron. Aaron is a one-man SWAT team. He is an institution in and of himself. If you, Aaron comes down from Hamilton... You've been coming here, as long as I've been here, almost nine years now, you, you have been here, every impact. Aaron arrives before anyone, and he puts up all the lights and connects all the power everywhere, all over the place, um, and he'll be here long after you're all gone, and so we just want to honour you and thank you for all that you've done, and uh, I think you'll agree with me that this has been a very special conference, very special. So thank you for coming, and thank you guys so much. Thank you very much for all your help. There's a list as long as your arm, and I realize when you single folk out, you get in trouble for not mentioning all the other ones. And it's a, it's a danger that you sometimes just have to, have to face. But there was an incredible children's program. Maria and James and Karen Major and all these people, just they're still in there now. All the kids are over there now. And so even though they probably won't ever hear this, I think we should give them a round of applause too. And then what you do as a bit of a cure-all is you genuinely thank all the people that served in all the various ways here at the conference because a lot of them are unseen. You, you won't ever see them, but the Lord did and does. And so a number of the Riverbend Bible Church family, and I want to thank on behalf of all of you who have attended this conference to thank the Riverbend Bible Church family because they have done so much uh, for this weekend to occur. So thank you. Andre, I, I'm sure what you originally prepared would have been good, 
Um, but I'm really thankful that you changed it. It's great. And Nick, thank you so much. Um, and thank you to your dear wives, Lynn and, and Marsha. You know, there's a passage of scripture that really sums up our entire conference. Uh, and it's a prayer. And I want to make it our closing benediction. It is Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 to 21. Let me read it for you. Make it a prayer. Make it our benediction. And if you listen carefully, you'll see all three components of our conference. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge." that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Travel home safely. Come back again next year. It's been wonderful to have you. Take care.